What's up? How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good? Awesome. It's great to see everybody today in person and virtually. Um, You know, I really believe God is moving and God's doing great, great things as we continue this message series, Together We Rise. And today we're going to be talking about our story of hope and what that means for us as followers of Christ as we follow through on this mission. You know, when I was a younger kid in Boy Scouts, we went to Laurel Caverns. And if you've never been there, it's a great opportunity to, to go into the depths of the earth and really see what's underneath us. It's truly beautiful and magnificent. But down there in the caves of Laurel Caverns, I quickly learned something. It gets pretty dark. You know, without your flashlight, it can become a pretty dark place. I've never seen darkness like I've seen in those caves. I mean, there's points when we would take a break and sit off to the side and turn off our flashlights and other groups would walk past us, just mere feet away from us. And they didn't even know we were there because it was so dark. But then you flip on the light and it takes, it eliminates the darkness. You know, here's the reality. Light eliminates darkness. It really does. And biblically speaking, good wins. Good is the light, and it always wins. It will win. But I need to ask you this question. Today's kind of like a reflective day, and I'm really asking you to kind of go with me in this moment of reflection of our own selves. Because in this moment, we need to be honest with ourselves. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that light eliminates darkness? Do we really believe that good beats evil? Because if you do, it should be revealed in the people that we are, the words that we use, the the lives that we live. Because I think sadly, sometimes, especially in our politically charged climate that we're in right now, we're kind of shifting our focus a little bit. And maybe in our own hearts, we're not so sure if good really wins, if good really beats evil. You see, I believe with all my heart, the Bible is very focused. The Bible is is so true in the fact that we have a mission and we have an obligation to be his light in the world. I believe Jesus was so point on with this. You cannot sidestep it. You cannot overlook it. You cannot downplay it. If we claim to follow Jesus, we have a mission and an obligation to be his light in the world. And I need to be honest with you, and and we need to be honest with ourselves, that in this obligation, we are morally bound to be obedient to his calling. You know, it's not just like some Sunday school great teaching. It's not just some great thing that's like, oh man, I really hope I can get there. I kind of messed up in this area. No, I think we need to take a step further. We are morally bound to be his light if we claim to follow him. We need to heighten our expectation of our own selves and what that means as we follow Jesus. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you catch the last phrase that Jesus said? He said, let your light shine so that. You, want, you might want to circle that in your Bible. 
so that people will see you and glorify God. In other words, in the normalcy of who you are, we should ultimately be a reflection of Jesus that inevitably draws people closer and closer to the, to the heart of God. This is a significant responsibility, one that we should never take lightly, and we need to put away the excuses. We're done with excuses. We are morally, morally obligated to be his light. This does not mean perfection. Please don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean, oh, Bill, you're, you're really raising the bar here. Man, i got to be perfect. I can't never mess up. That's not what I mean. But in the normalcy of who you are, when people hear you talk, when people see you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever social media platform you choose to use, it should be absolutely inevitable that you draw people to God. And if you're not, there's a problem. There's a problem. You know, it's kind of like this lighter. You know, I got this lighter. And this, this light, this flame, if I can keep it on, this flame has tremendous power. You say... This flame has the ability to light up a darkened room. This flame has the ability to create a massive forest fire if it stays on. But this flame is fueled by something. You know, within the internal section of this lighter is the fuel and then the oxygen all pulled together to, cre to create this flame. It needs the fuel within it to become the light that it is. You see, spiritually speaking and, and morally speaking, we are all fueled by something. Every one of us is fueled by something. We are either fueled by God's heart and his kingdom focus, or we are fueled by our cultural view of things. There, there is no in-between. You know, we're either fueled by God's heart or our cultural focus of things. And what tends to happen is our cultural view is so often shaped by our immediate surroundings. Who influences us? What's going on around us or our, our opinions? And so as we do this whole, so this whole reflective moment this morning, I, I want to ask you a question. Be honest with yourself because I'm asking myself too. What fuels you? I, I, let's just be real. What, what, what fuels you? Because it makes a difference. It's either the kingdom of God or it's this world. And sometimes our cultural view of this world, and even be more blunt, our political leanings tends to fuel us rather than the heart of God. And sadly, there's times that our light fades and it kind of dwindles away or it's not as strong as it really should be. You know, there's some things that really cause our lights to fade. The first is this, sometimes our words and our actions causes our light to fade. It's just the reality. Sometimes the words we choose to use, the debates we choose to get into, and sometimes our actions are what causes our light to fade. I'm gonna read a couple Bible verses to you. And I'm just asking you just to just hear the word of God. Let's use this as a moment of, of self-reflection, okay? 
And so let's just let God's word speak to us and reflect on these words. Titus chapter 1 verse 16, the apostle Paul writes this. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. I'll be honest with you. That verse scares me. Me personally. Because I, as I read the Bible, I cannot overlook the fact that I, I am morally obligated to be his light. To, to be his vessel of hope in this world. Yet yeah, I often have to ask myself, <clears throat> are there moments when my words that I choose to use, when, when debates I choose to get into and how I conduct myself within those debates, or, or maybe sometimes there's actions I commit to that maybe I, I, I put my name in there. I don't want my name in there, but what if my name is, what if that verse has my name, Bill? Bill claims to know God, but by his actions he denies him. He's detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. I don't want that verse to describe me. And I hope you don't either. And I, I believe you don't. But we need to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes it does. Because our very actions pushes people away from the heart of God. And we're not being his light. Our light has faded. Here's another verse. These are Jesus' words. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks. Listen to this, my friends. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus is saying what comes out of your mouth represents what's in your heart. You can't sidestep it. And we need to be honest with ourselves. I mean, I, I need to ask myself, and you do too, what, 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 what words come out of my mouth? What, what do I choose to say to people or about people or whatever it may be? My words matter because it reflects my heart and my heart should reflect God. And if it doesn't, there's a problem because I'm called to be his light. And if, 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 if my heart's not reflecting God and it's coming out of my, my mouth and my actions, it's not reflecting him, then I'm not being his light and I'm failing him. I'm failing Jesus because of my own leanings. When a, a great book, an older book, by one of the great um, Christian thinkers of the, of the modern age, his name was C.S. Lewis. His book is called Mere Christianity. It's an excellent read. And in, this, in the book, he, has this, he writes this. Good and evil both increase and compound at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. You know what we're really talking about, my friends? Is spiritual warfare. That's what we're talking about. Spiritual warfare is primarily, it boils down to obedience. That's what it's all about. 
And most commands that give instructions to Christians at interacting with the dark forces that are present are verses like Ephesians 6 verse 13 that calls us to stand firm. Or 2 Corinthians 10 that says to take every thought captive. And most of our battles with Satan boils down to, to don't listen to him and his lies and don't follow his example. That's what it boils down to. Don't be persuaded by him. And before you jump and shake your head, Bill, I get that. I know I can't do that. Be careful. Because he's the master and the father of lies. He is the deceiver. Don't think you got this all under control. We need to be honest with ourselves. I I recently read this this blog that's talking about what C.S. Lewis wrote and and the spiritual warfare that we face. And, And quite honestly, it was just so good, I really didn't want to mess it up. So please bear with me. I just want to read this to you. This writer writes, But Lewis's imagery does not leave obedience as simple obedience. Rather, every act of obedience is strategic obedience. And every act of disobedience is a strategic fall. Ground is being won and ground is being lost. Two armies are marching across the terrain of my soul. Each has a markedly different agenda. One will win and my moral choices will determine who has the home field advantage. Lewis shows me the importance of everyday obedience while calling my soul to attention. The normal is no longer mundane. Lewis does not pressure me to do more than I can do or try to redo what Jesus has already done at defeating Satan. Instead, he shows me the importance of every little thing that I do. At the same time, as I read Lewis's description, I am not left in a fearful guessing game. Where is Satan going to try to attack next? I simply guard my post at the next area of obedience. As a single soldier, I am not asked to grasp the whole war. I am called to perform my role and trust that my general, who is God, is more clever and powerful than the enemy's general. With this mentality entrenched, I am reminded that the most dangerous question I can ask is a version of, what's the big deal if I, or it won't really hurt if I, or who's going to know if I do this? You see, these minimizing questions become the small points of encroachment of my enemy. They are not themselves defeat, but they are the points of advance from which my enemy would ultimately launch his attacks of victory. Another truth this imagery reminds us of us all is that life never stands still. We, are, we may progress or regress, but stagnation is a myth. There is always an agenda for our life that is winning. Our life is always advancing for one kingdom, which is God's, or another, my own. We are always building momentum. At any given moment, we may not yet have fallen or flown, but we, have gained, but we are gaining the speed necessary to soar or to crash. So with the instruction simple, guard your post, but the motivation should be vivid. Each act of obedience is winning strategic ground for your Savior or for the adversary. You know, with all that said... I think the question is valid. Be real with yourself as we, we reflect. Who's winning the, the uh, strategic ground of your heart? Stagnation's a myth. Who, who's advancing within your own heart? What's going on? Because whomever is advancing on your heart 
affects your ability for your light to shine or your light will fade. Your actions, your words, your attitudes will either cause your light to shine or it will push people away. And I think what really boils it down to, what really breaks your heart? What moves you? You see, we can't allow our heart to, to our, our light to fade. You know, with all that said, also, sometimes our light fades because we lose focus on our mission and our obligation. Sometimes we don't have the ability to truly be the light that God calls us to be because we've lose, lost focus of what our mission really is, what our obligation really is, what we are morally bound to as followers of Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against uh, flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the he heavenly realms. You see, this is spiritual warfare. And Satan is the master of guerrilla warfare. That's what he does. If he can make you shift your focus to something else as the enemy, guess what? He wins. He wins. Why? Because Satan is the deceiver. He is the father of lies. His intentions are to manipulate our heart away from the heart of God because his ultimate goal is to pursue us away from Jesus. And by doing that, he can eliminate our ability to be his light, thus being able to affect a lot more people. That's his goal. If he can cause your light to fade, he wins. He wins. He eliminates the opportunity for us to be hope and love to the world that needs it so desperately. It really is a domino effect. Think of all the people that you have influence over. Think of all the people in your line of sight, those who hang out with you and those who tend to overhear you, whether it's in person or in the social media world. If your focus on your moral obligation is to be his light, then you have to realize it's not just about you anymore. It's about the people that will not have the opportunity to experience his grace and love because my focus got sidetracked. I chose something else to be the enemy rather than the spiritual warfare that we all in. You know what really boils down to, I think, with the struggle within our human nature conditions, and it's all of us, myself included, I think there's a struggle of control. I think control really is a challenge for us. For every one of us. I think it's a struggle that has always been there. We feel we're losing control of this world. Maybe it's politically or whatever it might be. We feel like we're losing control. But can I be blunt honest with you? Control is always, has always been a myth. You've never had control. None of us has ever had control. At any moment, tragedy could strike. Or, or fortune can come our way that really blesses us. You have no control over that. All we have are opportunities. Every moment we have is an opportunity. And the Bible says, make the most of it. We need to make the most of our opportunities and not miss out on the opportunities that God has given to us. 
I really hope in two weeks that you will join us because we're going to be kickstarting a new series called Making the Most of Every Opportunity. Because in all of our relationships, we have an opportunity to be his light that will draw people closer to God or away from him. Opportunities in our family relationships, in our work relationships, in the world relationships, in our relationships with people at church. And I really hope you come and join us as we journey through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus to really see how we are called to make the most of all these opportunities. But like I said, control is not ours to have. Quit trying to gain control. Because God is the one who's ultimately in control. God's the one who's in control. His kingdom will win. His kingdom is our focus. And another reflection question I think we really need to ask ourselves. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust God enough that no matter what happens in the world around us, that good wins? That his kingdom will win? Or are we going to continue to try to push for our personal agendas and what we hope will happen around us? You know, think about it. When Jesus was in chains, when he was arrested to be crucified... It was at a time when political riots were going crazy. The world was turned upside down. Politically, the world was a mess. And this was just causing more opportunities of riots and confusion. And there in that moment when he was arrested, Jesus simply told the people that if he wanted to, he could call down his angels of heaven and end it all and wipe it all out. But he did not. Why? Because his focus was on the actual mission. His focus was on his kingdom, not the world's kingdom. Because he knows that in the chaos and in the mess, his light can shine. And we can do amazing things through him. And my friends, if we continue to fight to try to maintain control of what we feel we can control in this world, Satan just uses another tactic in his spiritual warfare. He shifts how we see things. The spiritual battle is to see things through God's kingdom and his lens and the heart of God rather than our own and our own cultural viewpoint. What tends to happen is a shift takes place when we begin to see things through our own cultural viewpoint. The problem with this is that because of our cultural experiences, because of our influences outside the Bible around us, we tend to see the same reality from different perspectives. And that's what tends to happen. See, reality is a whole bunch like the glasses that we wear. Like my 80s glasses. I'm looking pretty sweet, aren't I? Thank you. Thank you. But you know what happens? These glasses represent the way I see the world from my cultural perspective. I put them on, and a lot of times because the way I view things culturally from, from my upbringing, from my background, from, from, from whatever line of people I'm in, however you want to claim it, I see things a certain way. And oftentimes, because of my own cultural viewpoint, I judge things. And, I, and sadly, sometimes because of my own cultural viewpoint, I begin to view the Bible through the cultural lens rather than the, than the culture through the Bible lens. And sometimes I may see reality 
different than someone else may see reality. You know, growing up, I had biracial cousins. Their reality was different than mine. We grew up in the same family. I, I, I had the same experience with them. I loved them. And because of my cultural view, I didn't see the things that happened, the things that were said, the, the things that hurt them. I mean, we, we, we grew up playing in the same house, going to the same family's house and Christmas and Easter and everything else. And, and as we get older, I'll be honest, we have different political viewpoints sometimes. And I put on my cultural lens and, and I struggle seeing things from their perspective. The things that they've experienced. The things that even within our own family that people have said that really hurt them. It's just not right. It's not the heart of God, guys. It's not what God called us to be. We've shifted our focus to something else rather than what God called us to love others and love God. I remember when I was in college, I served at an inner city church in the, in the city of Cincinnati. And my heart was just broken because I wanted to find a way to really minister to people from all different backgrounds and all different cultures that represent these blocks that we, we ministered to. And here's the struggle. There's, there's this road, State Avenue, that was a, a, a literal dividing line. On this side were, were the, the inner city Appalachian people. On this side was the growing Guatemalan population. And it breaks my heart because our church was located right here on this side. I could never minister to the people over here because of the way these people treated them. I was never able to be the light over here that I was called to be because these people's lights were fading over here. They were more focused on their opinions, the way they see our culture, rather than seeing things through the heart of God. Rather really investing in what am I saying? What am I doing? How am I acting? How am I treating other people? Am I really focused on the real spiritual warfare that's going on, or did I make something else the enemy? You see, friends, at some point, we need, to, we need to remove our cultural lens that's constantly shaping how we view God. And we need to put it on the lens of God. And the Bible needs to be shaping what, how we view things, not vice versa. That's the battle. This is the, we're all in this. I am too. I struggle with it all the time. To try to put on the lens that God has to see things through his eyes, through his heart, what it really means to see perspectives from his kingdom, how Jesus had the ability in the middle of his political riots to be kingdom-focused, to be his light. What does that mean for me? You know, sometimes, unfortunately, rather than Jesus shaping our view of the world, our view of the world tends to shape how we view Jesus. And that's not a good place to be, friends. Then what happens in that moment 
we tend to give Satan this, the strategic advantage of our own heart. And we make a worldly focus the enemy. And then we're on a tailspin to crash, losing the ability to be his light. Let's be clear. If we shift our focus towards a political battle, then we will lose sight of our kingdom focus that God has called us to be. You may win political arguments, congratulations. You may get who you want in the White House, congratulations. But in doing so, we have tended to, to do it at the cost of being his light, pushing other people away from his kingdom rather than drawing them closer to him. To be blunt, if your heart breaks more over, over who's sitting in the White House and getting your way politically or not getting your way politically than seeing actual people going to hell because they don't know Jesus, there's a problem. There's a problem. And in so doing, we lose sight of the real battle. Our battle never was and never will be against flesh and blood rulers. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil who are trying to daily manipulate our focus to take strategic advances to win more of our heart, to pull us away from Jesus so that he can eliminate our ability to be his influence in this world. The plan was never to change the world politically. God's plan was always for us who claim to follow him to be his light, to advance his kingdom, to love God and to love others. Remember, that's our pursuit. That's our pursuit. And we have a moral obligation to be his light. We have people in our line of sight that we have influence over. We are either influencing them towards the heart of God or away from the heart of God. There is no stagnation. And guess what? You have the ability to influence the world. You do. You have the ability to be that light. But what fuels you? You know what's crazy? A, a statistic was thrown out there a few years ago that if every person who claimed to follow Jesus made it their commitment each calendar year to say, you know what? I'm going to find one person who I, is in my line of sight, in my area of influence, and I'm going to make it my focus. I'm going to share my story. Your story is your opportunity to be hope in their life. Your story is God's, what God is doing in your life, what you see God happening within you and through you. And, and every Christian, if they said, this year I'm going to make it my commitment, I'm going to, I'm going to share my story with one person. I'm going to make it my commitment to have intentional conversations with them about Jesus. And I'm going to make it my focus to, bring, to invite them to church. And, and help them to know and love Jesus and give their life to Jesus and then raise them up to then turn around and do the same. And then next year we did it all over again. You picked one. Those people picked one. Guess what? Within 15 years, we would win the world. You want to change the world? That's how. That's how. One life at a time. Don't let your light fade. You see, the purpose of our story is to bring people into fellowship with Jesus and us. That's the purpose. That's what God calls us to do. And so think about it. Think about that. People that I may dislike, people that I may have difference of opinions with, maybe politically, one day I may be in fellowship with them. That person annoys me. But God's called me to, 
possibly be in fellowship with him. It's, it's put this way in 1 John 1, 3. It's written, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The purpose of our story and our obligation is to breathe light in people's lives, to ultimately have fellowship with them in the name of Jesus. Heart check time. How would you respond if the people you seem to detest at this moment all somewhere in fellowship with you right now? Praising Jesus. I mean, it's a challenge. It's a question we need to have. You know, the early disciples, they challenged, they, they wrestled with it too. There's this man by the name of Paul. He was first known as Saul. And if he was in our day and age, you know what we would classify him as when he was Saul? A terrorist. His mission was to annihilate people who claimed to follow Jesus in the church. In fact, on the road to Damascus, that was his mission. That is what he was going to do until Jesus came along and changed his life. And then he got to Jerusalem, and guess what all the disciples did? Uh, no, we're not hanging out with that guy. I don't wanna, do you know who he is? Uh-uh, I'm not hanging out with him. They had to have a heart change too. They had to have, see the ability that, boy, Jesus can really change lives. He really can. It's not our job to write people off. It's our job to be his light and to let the Spirit of God move in the lives of others. You know, with all that said, your story is an opportunity for your light to shine. It really is. Your story is an opportunity for your light to shine. So think about what God has done and is doing in your life. Be honest. Please be honest with what's fueling you right now. Fueling you right now. Is it truly the heart of God? Or is there another agenda within your own heart? There is no either or. There is no stagnation. Who's advancing within your own heart? Are you being obedient to Christ? And then make the opportunities to share that story. Be that light. Be intentional with your conversations. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. More my, my prayer is that for all of us as individuals and as collective, as all of us collectively, my prayer is that truly that when people see us, they see the heart of God. They see God's love, his grace, his mercy, and his truth. That through our actions, through our opportunity to have intentional conversations, we may make our moral obligation to be his light. And we will question ourselves all the time, am I being his light or am I fading? I don't want Satan to advance within my heart and we can't allow that to happen and it will happen in subtle ways before you knew it, before you can ever understand it. He can pull the rug from underneath you. Constantly ask yourself, am I being his light in this moment? Am I reflecting him in this conversation or am I not? And then here's the challenge. I'm challenging you to identify your one. Who is one person this year that you will make the intentional effort to be light to? 
that you will share your story, that you will find the opportunities to have intentional conversations, that you will find the opportunity to invite them to come to church with you, whether it's in person or join you online. Share your story. Have kingdom-focused, intentional conversations and be a light in their life and watch what God begins to do. May our lights not fade, but may they shine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you right now and in this moment, Lord, I just want to ask forgiveness for me because there's moments in my life when I wasn't even aware that my light was fading. Lord, I made other things the focus. I made other things the enemy. And I lost the reality of the spiritual warfare that's actually going on. But Lord God, in this moment, may we be your light. Convict us when we need convicted, when we are failing or fading. And may we be bold enough to take the steps to pursue you, to love you, and to love others the way that you've called us to. That through us, more people might come to know you. That lives may truly be changed. And that through that, the world may change. Because the world will change through your kingdom, not ours. It's in your name we pray. Amen.